Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1051. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. You know, it sounded like you almost forgot my name right there. And <laughs> it happened so quickly. That was going to be really upsetting for me. So I'm glad you pulled it back together again there. At the yeah, end. I know your name, Stephen Carter. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it's notorious Stephen Carter. Yeah. Stephen Carter. Yeah, everyone yeah. knows your name. Yeah. Notorious B.I.G. No. Guys, no, we're no. talking again. No. Yeah. Next. No. No. We're we're Who, talking what is, again. I didn't. Okay. I didn't talk to you for a few weeks, and then now it's what like two days in a row. When did we last talk? I don't remember. Quite Sunday. recently. Yeah. It feels like just yesterday. It does feel like just yesterday. For yeah, most why, people, they probably listened yesterday. So why are we here, out. Annalise? We are here because there's an election coming up, and we're going to record a little bit more. That's why we're why? here. Why? I mean, Why? Corey and I uh, are old and tired, and surely this can't be a good idea. I mean, well, you know that every time I do this, I risk great personal harm every time I, <laughs> I tell come every on time the show. you open your mouth. He, he yeah. lies too close saying. to the sun. Yeah, your notorious yeah. B.I.G. thing. I didn't like where that was going, for example. Well, yeah. so it's not, it's great, not every episode. It's just every time you open your mouth, which you've been show, doing a lot lately on uh, like political you put me on No, because TV you put me things. on to the... Was I on TV? I mean, maybe. I don't remember. But I don't remember doing it. The important thing, Stephen. Yeah. The important thing is that our premier, the person who leads government in this province, has declared that we're in a campaign season. And so that is a very important legal term that the strategist takes seriously. And that means we increase our recording to three episodes a week, one of them paywalled. I think that's actually like, that's in regs. It's not a bill, but it's in regs. Really? Yeah, man. You know, this that's what happens like when I was, not true. I worked for the government for many okay. years. And, yeah. You know. Did yeah, we I, sign I, a I contract trust... with you when you were in government? Is that what happened? <laughs> I would trust <laughs> Corey on this over you, Carter. He's more of that like detail guy, right? Yeah. Like, he knows lie, yeah. Uh, those Corey things. Corey a note that said that, uh, what was it, eight years ago this week, we started recording right. the Strategist podcast. That's true. We should. Yeah. This is, is your eighth birthday? It's, it's like birthday. today. Guys, yeah. I didn't know that. It's birthday. Yeah. Of when oh, we when we came I didn't up with know all this. this. Yeah. yeah. You sh- you guys should, we should be doing this like in person with a cake. A little happy eighth birthday cake. I'm not allowed to eat cake at the moment. There's a carb situation. To, uh, I'm not allowed to hang out with Stephen Carter at the moment. Yeah. So. so this is as good as we're gonna get, Annalise. Okay, but but just pause there because some people, a few people listening, yeah. have not been with you um for eight years. So just tell us a little bit about that story. Why did you why did you start eight years ago today? Well, we didn't. We actually started 25 years ago with a yeah. fellow named Chester. But eight years ago was when Zane and us first yeah. talked about it was bringing it back episode. after, yeah, after a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah. Well, because of the whole yeah. Zoom situation, yeah, we we got into a deal. <laughs> Chester got us into this deal with Zoom, right? And yeah. um, then it wound up in all this legal trouble, and I was like, I was just fucking done. But Corey was young and had some enthusiasm. And uh, Zane, who <laughs> means Zane's, Zane's always got enthusiasm, uh, or at least then, not so much now. Yeah, <laughs> but um, he kids was, will do that to you. Yeah, he was uh, enthusiastic, so we decided to start it up. And I think also we didn't have, uh, we were trying to record something for the CBC on a debate night, and they didn't have a show for us to be on. Uh, yeah, which so that obviously led us to recording a podcast. 
That's true. CBC and led led us, you to start. Yeah. I mean, CBC letting us down. Letting us down led by not having to Led us to start. Yeah. But yeah, so in 2015, I was doing, I was one of like those three election panelists on election night for CBC. Okay. Steven, I don't know. Steven, Steven, he was doing Steven things. Yeah. But the, uh, the Seeb, as we call it, yeah. you wouldn't mm-hmm. understand, but those of us who have worked with the Seeb, we like yeah. to call it the Seeb. Yeah. Uh, the Seeb uh, was carrying hockey instead of the debate. Oh, no. Yeah. So I wasn't going to have the opportunity to share my pearls of wisdom. And I thought, you know, that old thing we did with Chester, that, uh, that Peabody Award winning uh, radio show that we did. Maybe it's time to dust it off. And uh, Stephen, he had nothing else going on. And well, so he immediately jumped to it. And Zane, who was not involved in the conversation, and this is 100% facts, said, I'm in. I want to be the host of that thing. And uh, so we let him do it. Yeah. And and then he's here let us down are. ever since. Yeah. 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 Here we are eight years later yeah. without Zane. <laughs> yeah. Which totally worked out as we planned it. Hey, Corey? You know, yeah, it, pretty it, much. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the way we planned it. Bit of a slow burn, but hey, we were talking about twice a week public apps. Oh. Sundays, Tuesdays. We're still talking about that? What do you think our batting average is going to be? Like, Oh, I think 100%. I think 100%. Because, wow. gonna, That's because here's wow. the thing. We've identified who are our weak link, right? Our weak link <laughs> is Zane. Um, all we have to do is keep Annalise relatively healthy. Um, which has been tricky, I concede. That has been tricky. But if we yeah. can keep her relatively healthy, she seems enthusiastic in a way that Zane hasn't for probably the better part of five years. So but the key, part of it, the key yeah. Carter, to being relatively healthy, oh. is that my baby, my toddler, is in daycare. Oh, so do you want to look after him during the days? I already have an arrangement. That'll with keep Zane me healthy to do that and. <laughs> Day, daycare at Stephen Carter's house is what yeah. I'm hearing. Yeah, uh, I, I was pretty sure the key to enthusiasm was that Annalise is paid by the episode, unlike Zane's. So. You know what? That is true. Yeah. She is paid by... And you know what? I think Double should the do. episodes, double the pay, yeah. right? Yeah. Maybe we should pay Zane. That could have worked. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go nuts, okay? We got a thing going on now. Okay. We're doing it. years to get there. Okay, guys. So just so everyone is clear, Sundays, Tuesdays may change. Probably won't. Carter thinks it won't. Uh, you're going to hear more uh, of the strategists. And you can still get your Thursday Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. Strategistpatreon.com. Yeah. Give us that sweet, sweet money. Yeah. 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 Okay. Getting rich $6 at a time. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, okay. Well, this has been a very informative conversation. We're going to move into our first topic. Are we? Our first topic uh, is called Intimate conversations there's like an s on the oh, end of that in case an s? i see i thought it it's was a Z. multiple it's multiple conversations okay. um guys i was at an event all afternoon um and many other people were there i would say there was probably about 1200 people in the room maybe a huh. little more um calgary economic development had a um conversations they had conversations this afternoon. Oh. Um, so they had an event. Many people thought they were buying tickets to an event that would see Smith and Notley on stage oh. together in a discussion moderated by the mayor. Um, that was how it was kind of initially branded. It said, like, join us for an intimate conversation. No S. 
with the premier and Rachel Notley. You're, you're really hinging a lot on yeah, this S. There's yeah. a lot going on. I'm trying to read between the led, lines here. Led by Mayor Gondek. You know, it had like a photo oh. of all three of their heads. Um, anyways, I was there this afternoon, as I say, many other people were there. And it, it was not a conversation. It was... Uh, two different conversations. They were not on stage together. Um, and and the the language kind of recently shifted. If you look back, it said, like, you can hear intimate conversations with Smith and Notley. Anyways, long story short, um, the way they did the event was uh, Notley was on stage. She went first. She was on stage for, like, probably about 20 minutes. Mayor asked her some questions. Mayor had an iPad Asked her a couple audience questions. She answered. She she leaves, and then in the same chair, um, Premier Smith comes and sits down. Same sort of thing. Um, afterwards, Notley scrummed with the media. Smith did not. So a lot of details there, but I, I want to kind of dissect this strategy-wise from you guys, because we said at the beginning, right, we're, we're right before an election. Um, what, writ drop is in, like, less than two weeks. Mm-hmm. You guys have been in in those rooms making these decisions beforehand. We, we I don't know what happened. I don't think anyone knows what happened, why it went from being like here's a conversation to different conversations. But can we can we get into the strategy of like what is that like as a staffer um in terms of do you do you want your your leader on stage with the other leader when the event is happening are you like so nervous about like they could say something bad and everything could go wrong like let's let's kind of ignore those like details and talk about this overall bigger picture of um conversations in the public sphere events debates whatever with your leader Corey. Looks like you have things you want to say. Yeah, well, especially two weeks before the election, yeah. as, as we're kind of in, you are in many ways testing your election footing and you're going out and you're treating things in a much more election-like sense than you would otherwise. So let's just start by saying six months ago, the idea of two of them on the stage would have been strange, but there's like precedent for that. That's possible. You can imagine it. But two weeks before the election, you start saying things like, do I want them on stage at the same time? What does that mean? What's the dynamic? And I'll have to tell you, uh, this this event, I was I was supposed to go, but I'm I'm actually on vacation today, so I begged begged out of the event. Uh, I, but I was kind of sad too because I thought, oh, this is going to be almost like the first debate of the election, and I almost couldn't believe that it was going to happen because it seemed to me crazy that Danielle Smith would be willing to elevate Rachel Notley to that level before she needs to, Yeah. right? In a, in a campaign, it's just party leader versus party leader. In this two weeks before, it's still premier and opposition leader. And if you're premier, you don't elevate opposition leader. That's like a cardinal rule, uh, especially as you start thinking about how you can use that power dynamic to maximum advantage ahead of an election. So your question is like, what's going on? What's the conversation? You're having that kind of conversation. You're definitely not giving the opposition leader that elevation to peer status before you have to. You're thinking very carefully about those events. You're thinking about how you use the power of the bully pulpit while you still have it in this kind of like nice liminal space where you are premier, but people are paying attention. And those two things don't always come together. So this is a very powerful moment in a campaign. Now, I've also had experience from the other side where I was, uh, you know, a campaign director for what was then the official opposition, but polling third right? And ended up third coming out of the election. 
and you're 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 desperate to get that elevation and you're trying to pull it. And so the dynamic of this event's fascinating to me because it ended exactly where it should have begun. And I'm sure there's a story about how it went from one conversation to two. But uh, but the fact of the matter is, Rachel Notley clearly wanting it to be a conversation amongst equals and Danielle Smith clearly wanting to engage as minimally as possible so it was not a conversation among equals is actually pretty optimal behavior by both of them. Now, a lot of suboptimalness around there, but they certainly seem to be playing their cards the way I would expect them to play. When, when you're planning that event, like put on your event planning hat here, how much... Does does Smith get more say instantly because she is premier? Like you kind of you said, you know, Rachel probably wanted it to be a conversation. As the event planner, do you kind of just have to go with what the premier says and that like how how do you how do you navigate that? Well, both of them have veto, right? So either one of them can say I'm not coming. Uh, there's a tremendous, I mean, if you're putting yourself in the position there, you've got three very powerful people going up onto that stage, each one of whom doesn't want to be made to look like an ass. Uh, and I would argue that the situation as it unfolded made each of them look like an ass. Um, so when you're going through these negotiations, the, you know, I can, I can't tell you the number of event producers, uh, that are producing debates or things that they think are going to be debates or different structures that I've just royally pissed off. Because they come at me and they think that this will be a great event for them. Fantastic. I'm really excited that you want to have a great event. Go fuck yourself. Because I'm not <laughs> in the business of giving you a great event. What I'm in the business of doing is getting my candidate elected. So if that means that, you know, I get an opportunity to debate Jeremy Farkas one-on-one, you know, in the mayor's race, then I'm you know, making sure that it happens. If we get to put... Um, Nahadenchi into debates day after day after day uh, with, you know, Rick McIver and um, Barb Higgins that I'm doing it because he can slaughter them. Uh, but, you know, Joti wasn't that good in debates. Alice Redford wasn't that good in debates. You know, we we picked and chose where we put people because if you, if you just simply uh, drop people into every situation, you can wind up with egg on your face. And I would argue that today's event put egg on just about everybody's face in that, in that auditorium. I, I did an interview with CTV just before, uh, just before the event started. I think it was at, uh, let's see, two 30 and they got up on stage at, I believe five 30. Um, it was after five 30. Yeah. So that's not great. That's not great. <laughs> the event was the, supposed to the, be over the by five thirty. The networking started. The networking was two thirty to three thirty. Everyone was sitting down at three thirty. It was supposed to be over at five thirty. They the first conversation happened after five thirty. Yeah. So the the problem that you have in all of those situations, and especially a situation like this where the Calgary Economic Development Authority or the whatever it is, CED, has its own agenda. And its agenda, again, it does not match with the agenda of, of Rachel Notley or, or, or Danielle Smith. They have the, you know, I, I see very clearly why Rachel Notley wanted to do this event. She wanted to stand in front of an audience of uh, business leaders in Calgary in the place that she needs to win and shine as a potential option for uh, Calgarians. And it really doesn't matter what the format is. As long as she gets to stand up in front of a Calgary economic development audience and talk about Calgary economic development and not sound like an idiot, it's a good day for her. doesn't matter what the format is. uh, Danielle Smith is in a totally different spot. Danielle Smith is trying to 
you know, keep herself elevated. Right now, all her advertising is paid for by the government of Alberta. There is no, you know, there is no uh, media relations requirement because it's not, you know, she's she's decided she's not doing media. Um, the media is trying to paint her with a brush of not being available, but who cares? It's just not going to have the impact that uh, going up there and sitting in front of a microphone and having actual clips of you sounding like an idiot. There was a t- tremendous amount of risk involved in Danielle Smith even put, setting foot up there. And frankly, if I was running either Smith uh, or Gondek's uh, campaign, I would have told I would have said absolutely not. Um, Gondek, Hold on, you, you said Smith yeah. or Gondek's campaign? Yeah, Gondek should you never... Th- Gondek shouldn't have moderated is what you're saying. There's only two ways it can go. She's going to piss off someone, right? She's going to look like she's being too hard on someone or too easy on someone. And she's not a fucking moderator. She's the mayor. Get that, off Have you get guys off the seen stage. that? Like, have, is yeah. that... You've been in, in politics um, longer than, than, than me, but is that... Have you seen that before? Like, I can't recall when I was a reporter covering something where you had two candidates and then it was moderated by a mayor. Have you seen that before? I, I don't think it's necessarily unprecedented. I, it's very weird. And I will say in general, when people try to play with those formats, they think that they're splitting the atom. They think they're breaking the mold. But the reality is people have drifted to the kind of rules Stephen said, like don't put a mayor who's a politician in their own right in a situation like that for a reason. The, an event that really always sticks with me in 2015, <laughs> I can't believe they're getting more airtime. In 2015, the Alberta party held a oh, leader's good. dinner. They're a really pop, they're state. really happy with us right now, so I'm glad we yeah. talked about them they, again. They loved your, uh, yeah, your comments they love our in stuff. the last episode, yeah. Corey. Just love them. A, a leader's dinner. Okay. You know how it's called a leader apostrophe S dinner? Like it's, it's the dinner for the leader? Yes. This is 2015. Greg Clark is leader of the Alberta Party. Do you know what they did as their program for the leader's dinner? Tell me. S- Stephen remembers. <laughs> they decided to put Greg Clark on a panel with myself and Danielle Smith. Yes, that Danielle Smith. And essentially, it just ended up with me and Danielle beating up Greg Clark for an hour (laughs) in front of the Alberta Party faithful. It was very weird. Um, And and I'm sure some people thought afterwards, well, maybe that wasn't a good thing to do. But um, it wasn't. And, And the reason why the format of the leader's dinner is the leader gives a speech is the entire thing is it's a speech from the pulpit to the faithful. Same thing with these kind of moderations. What's the one critique people always have of moderators? It's they didn't go aggressive enough or they or they were too aggressive, right? Yeah. Like, what's the win? You know, even if you do win, even if you come out of there being like, what a great moderator, is that anyone's idea of what the job of mayor is? Yeah. Where's the win, right? But, you know, I want to get back to what something Stephen said, which I think is really important to underline. Everybody has their agenda. Opposition has the agenda. CED has an agenda, mayor's office has an agenda, premier has an agenda. And the the delicate dance that happens before any of these events is like, who's, you know, how are you going to negotiate this? Whose agenda is going to trump? And you, so you ask, like, does the premier come with a stronger position? Usually, not during an election, uh, but because we're in this weird space in between, I'm sure there was a weird dance. But CED is not trying to give Rachel Notley a platform. And they're not trying to give Daniel Smith a platform. They're trying to platform themselves and make themselves seem very relevant and connected and at the core of Calgary. So with with that weird dance, like Rachel spoke first and then Smith spoke. And I mean, 
another recent event. I was at our live show. Uh, Stephen oh. Carter, you did your strategy first. Yeah, and great. then Corey <laughs> did his strategy. Yeah. Um, but so even, even like even a detail as, you know, seemingly minor as that, that I would say is quite big because when Smith is talking, you're thinking about, well, Rachel just was on stage and she looks this way and she was wearing this and she said this. Like in terms of that, um, who goes first, when you guys have been in those back rooms, if you were advising in this case, would you have pushed like, no, my leaders go, goes first, Corey, weigh in? Yeah, well, so again, we're in this period where it's not an election and the protocol is pretty set. Like the premier closes the show, like the big speaker goes at the end. So I'm sure it wasn't much of a debate. Um, but actually, Stephen and I were in a, the same version of this conversation in 2012 uh, when we were talking about the rules for the leaders debate that particular yeah. um, that particular election. We were in a room with other parties, and uh, there were conversations about how they were going to decide orders of questions. And when it becomes a campaign, and when it becomes, these are all party leaders, and we're going to pretend they're equal, even if they're the liberals polling at 10 or the wild rose polling at 30, right? Then the debate, the dance gets a little bit fancier, and it often goes down to random chance. So this same event held two weeks later probably would have been a coin toss. But because it was held today, Premier goes last. And that's the protocol. You can ask yourself in an event that's running so long, and people are starting, I'm sure, to stream out, whether that's to the advantage of the Premier. But that is the protocol. Which, which is the better position? Like, protocol aside... Do you, is it better to go first or to go second? Well, so it's funny because if it's an announcement, the protocol is like the big person goes first. Like it always starts with the premier, right? And yeah. then it peters off to other people. At like a dinner or a formal event, it always ends with the big speaker. And so uh, really, if you're going to have them captured and captivated, you want to go last. Because the whole idea is you get to be the last thing they think about, and then they can go out being like, what a great speech. It's so good. I'm going to go leave. It's why Zane opened for us, but Stephen and I closed the show. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Same basic thing. Same exact thing. But at like a media event, and I think some of the logic applies in an event where people have to start petering off to go home for dinner and to, to see their kids and stuff. You want to go first because if somebody only sticks around for that, you know, you you want them to hear that. It's it's the inverted pyramid approach to communications, which communications professionals will recognize. It's the idea that you lead with your core messages. And it's just taken to the idea of the speakers list. You lead with your core speaker. Um, you know, so interesting dynamics here. But like I said, there's a, there's pretty clear protocol for these things. I think if there was a debate to be had, it was what kind of event is this? Well, and Carter, why, why did that's you where it went off the rail? Why did I go first? I wanted to give Corey a chance. Um, Okay. Because you 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 won the, the, for people who haven't gotten to that episode yet, because I know there's a lot of episodes or they weren't there. We did a coin flip. Carter won. He got to choose and you picked that you went first. Well, in, in part because I, I didn't want people laughing at my slides while I was presenting them. Um, (laughs) Right. Like my PowerPoint, while strong in its own right, uh, you know, doesn't stand up to Corey's uh, exceptional PowerPoint skills. But but that's also part of what we're describing. Like, if you're not, like, there was a lot to lose for, for, for Danielle today. Really a lot to lose. And I, I'm really shocked that her team let her do this because 
all these things, all these considerations you're talking about, Annalise, all of them are 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 highly variable. I mean, it sounds to me like everybody leaving that, you know, the the event ran so long that you're not got a good, you know, you don't have that great audience. You don't have that everybody sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for the premier to say what they're going to say. I mean, it it was really set up almost as a lose for Danielle. I'm also told that there was uh, it was a very female heavy audience again. Uh, you know, fantastic for Calgary Economic Development, great for the mayor, great for Rachel Notley, less good for uh, for Danielle Smith. But this is another campaign mistake um, that I think a more experienced campaign team would have just said, you know, uh, I mean, go do it yourself. We're not going to show up. And then taking the lumps of, yeah, you didn't show up for a Calgary. I mean, of course we didn't show up. The mayor's the fucking moderator. Do you think she's impartial? Last week she was screaming about me at me about um, downtown funding or opiate deaths or whatever. She's she's not impartial. I couldn't possibly show up and and have a discussion when the mayor of Calgary, you know, uh, is is suddenly the the quote unquote moderator. There's nothing moderate about her. Carter, what is that like um, in terms of the request? Like you've been in those back rooms at this time. And obviously people have lead time and their requests have come in, you know, weeks, months ago. But is it just nonstop um, requests and how, which are the ones that instantly go to your yes pile? Uh, Almost nothing goes instantly to my yes pile. The the one that would, for this particular situation, the one that goes directly to the yes pile is the televised leaders debate. Uh, There will be one of those, uh, maybe two, depending on how they, you know, the teams are negotiating it. I Uh, I can't remember the last time we've had two. Yeah, but I mean, there'll be like a pseudo event, like, you know, CBC radio will have all of them on or something, but like. In terms of like a formal, I'll bet you there's one. Yeah, I'd be surprised so if otherwise. Y- you pencil that one in and you say, okay, we have to do that. Because if we don't do that, we're going to get uh, pilloried in the, in the news media. And it'll actually be worse for us than going out and shitting the bed. And that's kind of how I think about it. You know, are we going to shit the bed? Is there a possibility that we could shit the bed? And if yes, then, you know, you have to weigh it against... The possibility of shitting the bed, not the possibility of winning the day. These things are extremely difficult to predict. Is it going to work out well? I don't know. Could go really well. Could go horribly. So you've got to make sure that, you know, you're, I start from the, from the place, we'll do one. And then when they start piling up, like we did with the municipal campaign, then I'm just looking for voter sets and money sets. If I need to get money, then we do, um, a, a corporate one. If I need to get um, attention or voters' attention, then we'll do a special uh, voter one where the voters themselves have more of a say or feel like they're being heard. You know, something along those lines. But each one needs to be cl- fully evaluated and vetted because you really are putting your entire campaign on the line just for a couple people's satisfaction who actually attend the event. Yeah, and that's really important. I want to underline it because I think in particular third parties make this mistake of being desperate, right? Uh-huh. They'll take anything. They'll go to anything and they do not do the assessment as to whether it moves the ball forward for them. Because frankly, there are just rooms that are of no value to you on any campaign, whether you're the premier or you're the leader of the third party. And you've got to make the assessment on a case-by-case basis. And I like to tell people, and I usually do in the context of... Um, 
election day, like get out the vote because I, well, Stephen, you've worked with me on a get out the vote. I could be pretty aggressive. We'll call those people a dozen times if we need to, to get them out the door. And what I often say is they've got four years to get over it. And that's true of event RSVPs mm. too, right? This is the moment. This is why you are building all that capital over four years. Don't blow it by being like overly courteous during the election. The whole point from a political point of view of all of that other stakeholder engagement is to get optimal outcomes for yourself. Yeah, I mean, that might sound a little crass and transactional, but the reality is you don't want to blow it in the four-week campaign. You only get one of those. It's a- it, with, with the... Oh. Carter, did you want to call? I was just going to say it's there? it's a campaign, not you know it's not this thing where you go around and try and make everybody happy. And there is only one outcome that matters: did you win or did you lose? And making people happy just isn't part of that calculation. Okay, with the leaders debate, and this was actually there was a little conversation on this in the Discord group, which people can access if they give six dollars a month uh and Thank become you. supporters it's been it's this been hopping lately that discord group it's, it's like it's always it's like everyone has left twitter and they've turned to talk politics in the strategist discord group um but there was a little conversation there What's today log login the... again do you guys remember <laughs> how i can get in you're so upset. You, sh- you should hop in there, Carter. There was um there was a little conversation today about the leaders debate and like if if saying no to it is a strategy, can you do that? And you kind of maybe already answered this by saying it's the one thing you have to do, but can you say no to the leaders debate or has that happened? And um, yeah, Corey, do you want to start? Yeah, you could say no. It is certainly happened, not in Alberta in my memory. I'm sure it has happened, but you'll recall even in like the I, I mean, every federal election, this comes up a little bit more with the kind of collapse of the consortium. And yeah. and when Stephen Harper decided he was just going to do his own thing in 2015, there are ways to say no without even looking like you're saying no. Like, I don't like this format. I'm going to go talk to this group over here. And, you know, knowing that the other team won't want to go talk to that group. And it's not, hey, I'm not trying to avoid the debate. I was willing to do a debate over here. They weren't willing to do a debate over here. Looks like we're both cowards. Oh, well, right. And then you sort of wash your hands of it. But, you know, there's an artful way to do that. I think the challenge you would have in an Alberta setting is probably the precedent, right? The the fact that we do have this television consortium that gets together and everybody discusses it. And it's, you know, CTV and Global and CBC are there. And it would be different if it was like the CBC debate, right? Because then people would pull out of the consortium. You know, I don't trust CBC. Uh, you know, they, they have such poor judgment the way that they left Twitter, even though Corey Hogan told them they shouldn't. Stuff exactly. like that, right? Yeah. But um, but there's just, you know, it's just a little bit more of a staid set affair in Alberta. Could you say no? Yeah, you could. I don't even think it's impossible it happens this time around if there's kind of a triggering event. But I think it would be very tough. It would look like you're hiding from the media. Yeah, C- Carter, strategy-wise there, let's say you're advising Danielle Smith. Um, should should she do the debate? And, and maybe you're adopting a bit of Corey's strategy, which is like, don't be out there saying things. Um, should, should she do the debate? Well, I mean, I think that even today, I, I don't think that the things that she is saying are resonating particularly well. I think that what she is saying and how she is saying it is being met um, with cold ears. And, you know, so this isn't necessarily good for her every time she shows up and opens her mouth. So then in your campaign, you have to evaluate whether or not 
turning up and opening your mouth is good or not. Um, because you can run campaigns where you don't show up and say anything. Um, you, you diminish your chances of winning in a normal sense, but this isn't that time. This time is, is much, you know, this, this could be the time when, because you're up against the quote unquote evil socialist empire, um, we're not showing up could be a benefit because people won't remember that you're an idiot conservative. They'll think you're just a conservative. Yeah, there's the question of what's optimal in a general sense. And I think we would probably both say generally what's optimal is to show up to the debate because you don't want to look like you're dodging the debate. And then there's the question of what's optimal in an individual sense. And that's different from election to election. And you can always overlearn these rules, right? And it it does remind me of uh, a campaign debrief I was involved in many, many years ago now. This was like 2008 or so, right? Where... Uh, you know, we were talking about what went right, what went wrong on the campaign. And uh, somebody in the debrief said they didn't think door knocking worked at all because they found, you know, no correlation. And where they sent their candidate, the vote actually went down. So no correlation. And, you know, my point would be, well, there is a correlation. It's just a negative one. And so while door knocking is generally good for candidates, perhaps you've got a candidate who doesn't perform on doors. And perhaps the individual strategy there is to pick formats where the candidate performs more strongly. Same basic logic for everything you're approaching in a campaign right now. And you asked us, Annalise, sort of to kick this off. It's two weeks before a campaign. What are people thinking about? What are they doing? That's the kind of conversation they should be having right now. Hopefully they've been having it for months before that, but they're trying to decide what their campaign looks like. It's fine to hear what best practice is overall, but you've got to layer in the environment, the individual actors, all of the things that make each uh, individual campaign unique. A beautiful snowflake, if you will. It, is it not really hard, though, when... I mean, obviously it's hard, but when with the RSVP time, right? Like CED started advertising this event over a month ago. So yeah. the dynamic that Daniel Smith and Rachel Notley were operating in a month ago when they said yes, obviously they knew this is going to happen in a month. It'll be two weeks before the election. But like a, a lot has happened <laughs> over the past 30 days. Does that just... Yeah, really complicated. I never ever say yes a month ago. Yeah, you say maybe. I say maybe. I I don't know. I'm going to see how things go. Oh, you know what? She's got a tremendously busy schedule. We're certainly going to try and put that in. Uh, You know, oh, can you advertise it? Sure. I mean, if if you want, (laughs) that's your risk, not my risk. Um, So So if you you want to make it like super hard for those people who are booking the facility and selling tickets. Oh, yeah. And And yeah, because again, like to to what we were saying earlier, like it's about what's good for us at this moment. It's not. It's not what's good for them. I don't give a shit if 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 um, Calgary Economic Development rents a hall and doesn't put anybody in it. Not my problem. That's their problem. All I care about is whether or not my candidate picked up support or not. And and you know, even if they started advertising it, and, and you know, I hadn't said yes, there's absolutely no way I would cons- even care. I'd be like, yeah. Fuck it. That seems like a them problem, not a me problem. Um, and, and that's you, really what I would be focused on all the way through. Carter, do you think that was the first? I mean, you said everyone has egg on their face and we can get into that, but we've also talked about this a lot. But do you think do you think the first problem was RSVPing a month ago? Yeah, absolutely. You cannot commit to something four weeks from now. I mean, tour is done 
two days in advance. I mean, you put down a pack like right now in the big rooms, there's, there's a board and on the board there, there is a tour schedule of where they want to be on any given day. By the end of the, of the campaign, they will have hit 45% of those events, 45% of those dates. And that's a good campaign, right? Yeah. Like that is an outstanding, well-performing campaign. It's, and so you plan, so you know what you're moving away from, not because you know what you're going to be doing. And this would be part of that. I mean, this is essentially this fixed election date. You know, the the unintended consequence of having a fixed election date is that now you happen to have a period where you know there's going to be an election. So instead of having a four-week election campaign, now we have an eight-week, 10-week, 12-week campaign. Um, In the States, it's gotten to, you know, uh, a year-long campaign. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, that's the nature of fixed election dates. And I think everybody knew that, but we all thought that this would remove some sort of home field advantage for the uh, for the government. Bullshit. We just gave them a different home field advantage. Oh, Corey, do you, I, do you want last words here? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Stephen, but that's almost a whole other topic yeah. we could open up here. Yeah, but that's why I, I did I, it. I was opening it up for no. our next question, just in case. No, look, I, well, I, I said last question. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, last question. The, the question of RSVPs in the month ahead, and and some of it's tied to what Stephen said in that, like, it feels like in normal times you would give an RSVP a month ahead like this. But if they're going to treat it like an election, they got to treat it like an election and they can't give that RSVP in advance. My suspicion is it probably went something like this. CED reached out to Rachel Notley and Danielle Smith. Rachel Notley and her team immediately jumped at it because, as I was saying, like they want to elevate to like, okay, this is now two party leaders debating because that's better than premier versus opposition leader, right? That's wonderful for them. And then that either directly or indirectly caused the premier's office to then say, well, we better be there too, right? And by directly, I mean like they heard Rachel Notley's in, so they're in. Indirectly, I mean they probably didn't give even as much of a hedge as they should have. And I imagine having both been the person delivering that message and knowing that people hear what they want to hear, but also the one trying to get the answer from people about whether they're going to show up to something, that the premier's office probably said something along the lines of, yeah, that's certainly a really interesting event. We'd love to be there. We'll try to make it happen. Yeah. And then, you know, and then maybe things ran away. So either directly or indirectly, the cause of this was... Rachel Notley agreed. Premier's office felt they couldn't at least disagree, right? And and somewhere in the course of that, it went from intimate conversation to intimate conversations. Well, sure, because if you're being the group that's saying like, yeah, we'll, even if you're being vague about that, we'll be there, but you haven't 100% confirmed, you haven't gotten into the details, right? In that scenario, right? Especially if you're thinking you might not go, you are definitely not going to make them create a format that is going to cause all sorts of trouble. You're going to leave it loose. And and so, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that there's a story to be heard here. I'm sure that we'll hear about it on Twitter and just through our various contacts. Calgary is the the biggest, smallest city in, in some ways, but... Um, Hang on. Yeah. I'm just getting a DM. You get a DM. <laughs> <laughs> from the dms from steven let's, let's let's in your dms there steven from the dms i'm getting a dm that says that uh this was an event actually produced by cory hogan um oh yeah cory hogan oh, put this be. thing together and uh he's the reason that danielle showed up she's like oh if i can be interviewed by cory the cory hogan yeah then i'm in That'd and be very exciting. Uh, that, that's what the dm said so 
We uh, could have reminisced about the time that we were on stage with Greg Clark beating the stuffing out of him. Yeah. Wow. That would have been, been great. You and Danielle would have been good. Oh, well, next time. <sighs> okay. Next topic. Good conversation. Crime, guys. Crime. Let's talk about crime. Boy. Bad guys. Crime. Boy. I hey, don't and know. By the way, congratulations okay. on your first Velgy length segment. Yeah, that was great. I know. That was long. Yeah. That was the, you that, that was one. long. You really, but there was lo- there was lots lots there. I'm not. That's what he always planner, says too. So that's what he always says too. There was it's lots fine. there. You guys were saying good things. Carter was not saying stupid things. So I hey. kept it going. Hey, I mean that didn't sound like it was an insult, Stephen. It hurt a little. It's a compliment. Um. Okay. Crime. So it's an. Did you guys see my whole West Wing thing there? Boy, crime. Boy, I don't know. I no. No. We're okay. The fans um, will. The fans will see it. I got to tell you, I don't know what you see in that show. I, I find you it literally were so the last grating. one to refer to it on this podcast. You were literally the last one to refer to it. So I, I was will not hoping be to be the last one. Yes, shit. I was. I, I will was not be taking to be any of your shit, day. Carter. Get Hold get it. your Discord login and go chat with people there about it. Um, crime <laughs> the is an issue. The same one as the Twitter account because <laughs> that would be explaining some stuff. Crime is an issue that the UCP is pushing. Um, It's been in the headlines a lot lately, right? Like it's been in the headlines both in terms of actual crime that is happening. Um, And I say that with my former crime reporter hat on. But like there's been stabbings. There's been, um, uh, I don't know, like violent crime sprees. There's just been a lot of crime stories recently. And then there's been commitments and announcements. Um, from both the UCP and the NDP. The NDP had an announcement on the weekend. The UCP have had multiple, like more money for mental health, more money for cops on transit, new police officers. Um, There's been a lot. Today, there was a Globe and Mail exclusive about um, documents that show the UCP is looking at essentially forcing some drug users to attend treatments against their will. Um, Just kind of the whole crime, mental health, all that stuff has been in the news a lot. Um, And then also, and I I don't think we talked about this, so let me know if you guys talked about it with Zane, but the first sort of unofficial campaign presser took place a couple weeks ago when... um, it was UCP MLA Rebecca Schultz. She called out six NDP candidates for past social media comments about the police. And then this was followed up by ads and texts. I got one from the UCP that said, you know, like Rachel Notley's NDP are not serious about public safety. Um, so I, I want to talk, I mean, we can talk about kind of the specific things, but this like broader topic and issue of crime and how you win on it strategy wise. Why don't we start with that massive question, Corey? You've got thoughts. I do, because it's interesting because we had the live show. We talked about strategy. One of the things that we looked at was the issues and what were the top issues for people and what were the issues that um, the UCP could win on or the NDP could win on. And it was like the next day, this big crime brigade from the UCP began and it made me realize, like, crime was not on those lists. It yeah. wasn't even being polled as a top issue at the time. And we didn't have solid polling on where they landed. But I think that we would probably all intuit that this is an issue conservatives have historically done better than progressives on, right? And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And and at the live show, I, I you know, I think Stephen and I both made the comment, like, hey, we, we don't have party polling. We just have access to the public polling. But it made me wonder what they're party polling says. And I suspect that they saw it as an opportunity to really wrong foot the NDP 
probably saw this as a, a issue two to one advantage where over the NDP and if they could elevate it and make it an issue that people were really concerned about that could that could potentially pay huge dividends and so they went on a bit of a crime spree I guess you could say oh nice uh, yeah, thank that's you. good yeah, yeah. wow uh, really through ads and yeah. announcements and events and that continues to even this day to your point it's really a tough one for me because crime is on the rise, right? Like the statistics show crime is on the rise. But if you take a broader view of it, crime is still well off of where the highs were in previous yeah. decades. And so I don't think you can dismiss it. And I think progressives would be not serving themselves well to pretend that it's not a concern for people. Like you really do need to think about how you resolve these challenges. And frankly, for most people, it's not going to be enough to say we're going to cause, we're going to tackle the root problems because yeah, we fucking should, but that's not going to help me about the person with a knife downtown today, right? Like that's a longer lead strategy. And so, and that's why both parties are sort of talking about what's we're going to do now and what we're going to do in the future kind of thing here. But I, you know, the last thing I want to say before I throw it over to Stephen Carter here is- The Stephen Carter is, it's not even crime that concerns people. It's random crime, right? It's the, you know, it's the crime that they think could happen to them. It's, it is the guy downtown who is running around slashing a knife. It's the train incident that you can't get away from. Those are the things that people find particularly scary. Crime that they don't think they're ever going to see or feel, they kind of soullessly tune out. It's when they themselves start to feel that anxiety that that it becomes real. And that's very anecdote-based. And frankly, I would find it deeply insufficient myself if somebody said, yeah, well, I know you don't feel safe on transit, but, you know, statistically speaking, you're worse off in a car crash. Like, that doesn't... Oh, thank you very much. Like, yeah. what does that do for me? And I think progressives do fall into this kind of, like, blind following of the numbers a little quickly. Because uh, there is a huge emotional component to it as well. I think that Carter, that's. I think that thoughts? that's true. I mean, I, I was down. Did I mention I was downtown today? Uh, did an interview with CTV. I, I don't, oh, you I did it downtown. You didn't. Yeah, go I into did. Their studio. Hey, no, when you were no. there, did you pick up the check for the live show? I tried to actually, and it's not. Ready. Oh, okay. Uh, so <laughs> we are once again getting fucked around by our venues. Uh, hey, thanks for hey, bringing it down. up. They I haven't given calm. us the check yet. Yeah. You know? uh, so you know, there's a, a signing issue. Uh, anyways, he, here's where we are. Uh, I'm downtown. I'm, I'm walking to my uh, to my interview. Where was your interview at? It was at the Telus Convention Center. You may oh. have heard of that. Oh, place. you were you were live before. Okay. Yeah, kind of before it started. Yeah. I'm I'm the kind of guy that uh, you know they want to get an input from before yeah. things happen because I set the stage, right? I I, <laughs> I would, let I people know thinking, how it's going to go. You're the kind of guy who will show up to an event you're not going to <laughs> just to provide B-roll that's, at, at two thirty on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Carter, some people are busy working at their yeah. job. Anyway, Carter, have I was able to get down there, and I did this interview. <laughs> did you take the train down there? No, but I walked okay. past a a couple uh, of of people. I, I'm not sure if they were homeless. I don't think so, but uh, I I don't think they were housed. But regardless, they were um, they were just in the midst of, of shooting up, and it didn't make me feel particularly comfortable because you know I'm not 
I'm not used to those types of things. And this is the type of social disorder that we now see where people are walking past more and more social disorder when they go downtown. And they're not necessarily seeing um, violent crime, but they're seeing crime that makes them fearful. And crime that makes you fearful is something that is really um, nebulous and hard to understand and hard to figure out. But you just, if you don't feel good, um, if you don't feel comfortable, then it is it doesn't matter what the statistics say to what Corey says. And I didn't feel comfortable. Now, I don't believe at any moment of that interaction, I was actually at risk, but it doesn't matter. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel comfortable. And that's why, you know, there are many, many different progressive style solutions, but I'll tell you what I was really impressed with is, is, uh, the NDP putting out their crime strategy so that they would have an answer on a Sunday. It went out, it got some coverage. It's actually a really good day for getting coverage because, you know, there's not a lot going on on Sundays and there's still reporters. So the reporters have something to cover and they covered this particular story. And I thought that, that was a great opportunity for them to get out their crime story, their crime uh, platform without having to take on the progressive side, take on their own internal groups of people who want to see uh, some specific types of solutions. Um, they got to be hard on crime without having the natural consequence of having their own side stand up and say, how dare you try and win votes from the middle when you know that these solutions don't ever work. And that to me is really important for partisan communications. Partisan communications are no small part designed to win over or to get your own crew on side. And the NDP, the left crew, is just as crazy as the right crew. The right crew are, you know, you didn't go far enough on crime. And the left crew will be like, oh, you went too far on crime. You know, you don't understand the... Ver I mean, I read the, the forced um, treatment thing today with a very different eye than the left. That was just like, this is just simply bad across, across the board. I don't think it'll be effective, but I can understand the, the impetus... And the desire to put people into a safer place. It it sounds negative, but you could spin this if you if you were the ND if you were the UCP to be a lot more sensitive than they actually have. So Carter, are you saying that part of the key here is just to to do something? It doesn't necessarily matter as much what it is, but to have something so that you can point to we're going to do this. I mean, I walked past uh, two sheriffs and two police officers today walking basically hand in hand. I'm not sure why you need four officers walking together instead of two groups of two, but it didn't really reinforce the idea that everything is safer. But now the UCP has put more officers downtown. They put these cop, you know, the, the sheriffs are down there with the, with the police officers. Now, when I saw them, they were all side by side, hand in hand, um, not solving a damn thing. You know, they were nowhere to be seen when uh, I was walking past the folks that were shooting up. But, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. That It looks like you're doing something. So sometimes looking like you're doing something is all you can do. Yeah. Jump in, you know, Corey. It's, so I, the NDP, I think, really did a great job with their crime announcement. Again, we can only guess what the statistics are in terms of who people trust on crime, UCP or NDP. And I know it's frustrating for the NDP and their partisans to, to see that the UCP have cut funding for police and then have the UCP more trusted on the police yeah. issue. But say la vie, 
right? I mean, that's how it always is. There are just issues that you come with certain baked in, you know, regardless of any logic, brand takes over. And it's a great example of how brand trumps all, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But what they did is they did exactly what we suggested that the UCP do on the issues they're weak on, right? Which is have an answer for it, get that answer out there, but don't dwell on the answer. Like, don't make it what you're all about for the next bit. And I think it was really smart, you know? So it was a weekend announcement. The leader wasn't there. I read that a little bit different. I read that as uh, Rachel Notley filling the larder, getting the things she needs so her candidates on the door have good answers for crime. They can talk about investments in police. They can talk about investments in prevention, but not going to spend all of her time and her megaphone to talk about an issue that is, if you elevate its importance, naturally going to lead people to the UCP, right? So you got answers, but you're not giving it... um, audio you're not giving it kind of the the volume that it would otherwise have and that that's exactly what they should be doing like that is very smart and um and frankly i even saw online a number of people when rachel well not even rachel notley when the ndp put out this who are ndp supporters being like well this is bullshit she's just giving more police great and we now have two parties doing this you know this is just wrong well okay Right. But that's, you know, that's exactly why these issues are a little perilous for the NDP. Right. And why you don't want to be talking about them too much, because you are going to have people on your own side making comments that will be thrown back in your face. Now, the comments that the UCP were identifying and trying to elevate, such as Janice Irwin retweeting something that by somebody who used the hashtag defund the police are a little ridiculous. Like they're a bit of a stretch here. Um, But it is also a good example about how careful candidates have to be on those particular things. What about the emotional aspect of it? And you both have kind of talked about crime being an emotional topic. And I think, and again, we're talking like anecdotes here, but when I was a crime reporter way back in the day, you know, and like a, a, a targeted murder happens in a community and you're in that community door knocking and people will be like, oh, but this is such a good, quiet community. And now I don't feel safe. And it had nothing to do with them. And it happened a block away, but it's so, it's, it's so emotional. And then when I, I worked, um, briefly with the justice ministry, rural crime was a huge issue that we were dealing with. And it's super emotional because as you say, you can point to statistics, but people talk about how they feel and what they're hearing from their neighbors. And well, this happened to that person. So, and, and Carter, I mean, you're doing it right now talking about what you saw as, you know, like a middle-aged man walking downtown at two 30 (laughs) in the middle of the afternoon. Right. How old? How old am I? <laughs> Middle-aged, um, buddy. That's but, good for you. Middle-aged is nice. But, that's, but a, that, the, that's rounding that, you that, down. That, that emotional aspect, and then you add in, you know, when it's dark, when you're a woman, when you're alone, that sort of thing. Like, do you want to talk, I guess, about how, when an issue like this is so emotional, how it affects the strategy? Well, yeah, yeah, let's start here. Uh, oh, okay. You know, sure. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start here, though. Like psychological safety is an element of safety. I think we should acknowledge that. And and it's part of why we can't dismiss people's anxieties about this particular matter. And it's why you can't fact them to death. It is important that people feel safe going about their lives. That's, that's pretty fa- like, I mean, that's in some ways the foundation of society, right? This idea that, you know, we're governed by rules and laws and things will according, uh, go according to a plan somewhat, and that we're all going to comport ourselves in a certain fashion, right? 
So like you do need to address the psychological safety component and governments do need to address the psychological safety component. And I'm personally of the opinion that even if you think crime statistics don't warrant it, even if you believe that the better solution is long-term and the, the more fruitful solution is long-term to deal like head these things off at the pass, there is societal value to putting police in the situations where people can regain their sense of comfort and safety, because in doing so, they'll also regain a bit of their rationality and their ability to deal with these issues in, in, a, in a more forthright fashion. So uh, you, you can't ignore the psychological safety. That's the only thing I wanted to put on the table before Stephen jumped in with whatever pearl of wisdom he had. Yeah, it's going to be good. Carter, the mic is yours. People want to see certain things, too. Uh, people want to see bad people being arrested. They want, um, you know, they're not as afraid as they are, you know, when they they answer the door just after that incident and they're like, oh, my God, I've always been so afraid of crime. You Or I'm, I'm so afraid now. I'd never thought it would hit my neighborhood. You know what? You're not going to be afraid in, in four days. In four days, you're going to go back to living the exact same life you were living before and you're going to forget all the... Uh, about all of it, because that's the nature of the human existence. You don't, we don't generally live in fear. We generally are able to move past fear quite quickly. But when we are asked, you know, are you worried about this? Are, are you scared about that? Yeah, of course I am. Um, in no small part, because you're asking me. So these things are fleeting. They don't necessarily last, but a good, smart government makes people feel safe by taking action periodically. Um, and I think that this is where we're kind of off track in society. We have enforcement issues. We have issues where um, some some crimes don't seem to be getting much attention. Um, and some of them are minuscule and don't matter very much, right? Like my my constant gripe about cars that are too loud uh, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm ancient. You're very old. Man. I'm ancient. Yeah. And uh, it, interrupts yeah. na- it interrupts nap time. And frankly, yeah. uh, you know, it's against the law and I just want to see that punished. But there's a lot of things that seem to be against the law that people don't see punished anymore. Vagrancy, um, pub, you know, doing drugs in public isn't allowed. It's not a thing that we do. But because people aren't punished, People start to have the sense that there's a general lawlessness. And then our police system complains about it incessantly. The police will complain about their inability to enforce laws or the revolving door that exists in our in our kind of current penal system at any opportunity that they're given. And they're not wrong. So I think that a, 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 a party that wants to have real impact on this will start looking at things kind of holistically. Um, but I'm not thinking that anything that the UCP or the NDP have brought forward even gets close to that um, in this particular election. It's just it's just too much to really deal with. And why would you bother? Well, look, let's also be realistic. We are a province on the prairies of four and a half million people in a country of 40 million in a world of eight billion. And these are also trends that are happening yeah at least through the Western world, right? Like there is obviously some more foundational challenges out there and that's not to give governments a pass and governments are responsible for outcomes. But um, I think almost you asked too much of both the UCP and NDP to solve these particular matters, Stephen. I, I think that steps in the right direction are what I would settle for right now. But in Alberta, it's worse than in a lot of other provinces. And maybe we should you know, at least point out the 
kind of the oddness that a lot of this rise in crime that the UCP is so adamant to stamp out and put at the feet of the NDP occurred under their watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the way that they're dealing with addiction and homelessness is utterly bizarre um, for anybody who's interested in trying to solve the issue. Um, But, you know, this is where we are. And uh, I think that both of them have done the job that they need to do to kind of uh, show their bona fides on what their actual position on crime is. And now we're done because it's not actually going to be a voting issue to the point that we raised earlier about uh, the polling. The polling does not show that this is actually something that people are going to vote on. Do, do you think we are done or do you think every time over the next six weeks when there's any sort of crime incident that's random in Calgary, a city of, you know, over a million people, and that's going to happen, that the UCP are going to try and make it into a, a thing. Like, are we done? Yeah, I'm I sure they can try, done. but who cares? I mean, the, the NDP gets to say, and that's why we're proposing to do whatever the hell they proposed on the weekend. Like, it doesn't my, matter. My theory, and it's, uh, listen, it's an absolute theory. My theory is this. My theory is that any polling the UCP has shows they have a massive advantage with Albertans on the crime issue, but that the crime issue is just not particularly salient. Probably rising in salience, though, because of, you know, just a lot of the things we've talked about, the fact that we've had a couple of major incidents in the in the last couple of weeks and all of that. And I, I mean, this sounds just too dark and too cynical, but I think that they would welcome the issue being a bigger deal because it would be strong ground for them. So, of course, they're going to take the opportunities if they arise. But what Rachel Notley did was the uh, the first steps in a very strong inoculation strategy. Yeah, for sure. Which was the ability, A, she's got some good key messages on the UCP investments in crime or declining investments, as the case is. B, she's got an NDP strategy that includes more police, which will provide that psychological safety. Is it new? Is it novel? No, it doesn't need to be, right? Yeah, we want to do the same thing in that particular context is fine if it's an issue that you don't want to be talking about for a long time. And C, it also does go a bit deeper and talks about the social challenges, which again, allows her to pivot to her strong suit, which is people trust the NDP on healthcare, people trust the NDP on social justice. And by making it about those issues, pivoting to those issues, she's got all of the ingredients for a very strong defense on that particular matter. Okay. Let's leave it there and move on. You don't to seem a- to have liked our answers, though. Can I just dig in there? I don't for seem a second? to like them. Why your are you answer that? was, well, we just finished, and you went, "Okay, fine," and you moved on, and it sounded well, a little she, sharp. She didn't okay. say fine. I didn't say it fine. A little first sharp. Of all, you yeah. can listen. You're to just back. making stuff up. Did no. it not sound a little bit fine. sharp? It You're sounded a little bit that sharp. That I called you middle-aged, Carter. We're moving I'm on to the lightning rounds. Oh, okay. You, okay, did you, you didn't have your naps a day because you were doing <laughs> a CTV interview I was, at 2.30. It was nap time. Which and is nap I, time. Oh, yeah. This explains a lot. Okay. Uh, lightning oh. rounds. We're going to keep it kind of short. Um, but I've got a lot of lightning round questions. Which ones? Hey. Let's, ta- let's talk lightning round CBC. And was uh, was Corey Hogan wrong? Um, Never. Quick, quick follow-up to our conversation on Sunday about Elon Musk and CBC and Twitter. A lot has changed in two days. Um, CBC now has a tag that says they're 69% government-funded media, oh. which I don't think we predicted on Sunday. It said 70, and then... Um, 
it was changed to 69 and cbc has left the platform they've left twitter what uh cory do you the, the yeah. mike mike is yours what do you want to tell listeners yeah so on sunday i think i said there's no way they would do it because it would be too self-destructive well they did it but it doesn't change my view it's too self-destructive i i think they made a massive mistake here it, uh, listen, Elon Musk is doing everything he can to make himself the villain in this story. And he's such a fucking child. The fact that he moved oh, it from 69. 70% to 69, like just embarrassing for him, right? Embarrassing for him. He should be embarrassed. But CBC said they were going to pause their engagement on Twitter, right? And they did it pretty broadly and they did it across English and French channels. But they are just playing into this idea that they're acting in a political sense. Like, we cannot lose sight of the fact that it was Pierre Polyev who wrote the letter to Elon Musk that seemed to be the catalyst for this particular thing. So they are effectively protesting an action of the conservatives, which is going to play into the conservatives' mentality that the CBC is just out to get them. We talked about this on Sunday, but the fact that it says that they are 70% government-funded, or even if it said government-funded, most Canadians would say, yeah, sure, of course they are, because they are. Right. So like what they're arguing is like it is just the weakest, stupidest ground for the CBC to stand on and say they said we're government funded and their definition of government funded implies an editorial control that they do not act like nobody's going to listen to you past like the first couple of words you said there. So you're not winning with a general population. You're trying to win with an elite class, but you're getting yourself out of the conversation on the channels that the elite class have this conversation. And by the way, you've done it in a way you have basically two choices now. You either slink back after the pause with nothing having changed, having utterly fucking failed, or you don't, and you're no longer on Twitter, and you've just done that for what? Because they said you were government-funded, which, again, you are. I know it's not the way, it's not with the editorial control that's implied by that label, but you are. And it just, it's it's pointless, it's ridiculous, and it's self-defeating. So, I, I mean, I'm sorry, CBC, but, like, I just can't be with you on this one. And the, And, you know, the more I see commentary along the lines of, like, <clears throat> masterstroke because they did it across Reggio Canada as well, which which will hurt Pierre Polyev in Quebec because it's a political issue in Quebec. If CBC is thinking that way, they are being political in the way that Pierre Polyev is accusing them. Yeah. They are reconfirming the very fucking thing they're trying to not confirm. This is a bad play by the CBC and they, they've blown it. Now they should just quietly slink back. Carter is... I can't remember what my position right was wrong? on Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> Do we can we play it's back the tape? Corey's so... position, it's because Corey's position was so powerful. He's just yeah. Corey is so passionate about it. He's wrong, but he's so passionate about it. Oh no, Carter, no, Carter. What I, you do know you what? think? This is this is why I'm trying to remember what my position was because I actually really agree with Corey's argument, and I have another thing that I uh, that I strongly feel about. Uh, journalism and people associated, they're not great communicators. They're great journalists. They're great journalists, but they're not necessarily great communicators. Political communications is different. And it's the same thing that we see when, you know, when people who aren't campaigners put Danielle Smith up today in there in that event, um, you shouldn't be doing that. If you want to be a good political communicator, political communications is different than a lot of communications. The CBC's internal communications team didn't see the political downsides that they're now into. And they should have just done uh, what, what Corey said. And, and no one is hurt more than that by that statement than me. Um, I, I am <laughs> devastated that I have to say that. And, uh, you know, I'm probably going to have to shower before bed tonight. 
<laughs> That's okay. Well, after that walk, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well um, while we're talking about who should and should not be on Twitter, um, w- next lightning round question, candidates. Candidates for political parties, should mm-hmm. they be on Twitter and should they be spending a lot of time on Twitter right now? Hmm. Uh, lightning I mean- rounds, keep it quick. So again, there's the general advice and the specific advice. Generally, I think that it's one of these things that tends to get a lot more inputs than it get, delivers in outputs. Specifically, if it is a medium that you're comfortable with, if um, if it is something that you already have a large following with, well, then sure, it makes sense. It's a way to talk to people. It's a way to galvanize. Um, but it's going to be very dependent on your own strengths. And the last thing anybody needs is a candidate with a generic campaign, um, you know, account that is not saying anything remotely interesting run by staff who have the potential to blow it but not give you any upside carter what are your thoughts like are are, are you i don't know my feed right now is not that i've been spending a lot of time on twitter because i think it's the worst and terrible but it's like a lot of candidates just like saying this stuff that of course they're gonna say spending all this time on twitter getting into conversations and i'm like are they winning votes? Like, is should they not be out knocking on doors right now? It's, it, like, is, is it not a huge waste of their time, Carter? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a large population that think that Twitter was one on, you know, the Twitter is how you win a campaign, the way that Facebook used to be how you win a campaign. And you know what? There was probably a time when Twitter mattered. And I think that time was, ooh, 2009 through 2000 and... Uh, 11, 12, somewhere in there, same same place that the Facebook was. Um, you know, it did matter back then. You did have to have a strong ma- presence, but it, that time's gone. It's over now. Um, if you don't have a presence, don't establish a presence. If you do have a presence, give the give the password over and just let them do their, you know, let, let the staff do their tweeting of the leader's stuff and retweet the leader's stuff with comments like, oh, this is why I chose to run crap like that just don't get yourself into trouble because there's no upside in it there's only downside you fuck up you're gone yeah i disagree that there's only downside i think you're not gonna win any votes on twitter like those days are over and and the way we've all kind of collapsed into our social media bubbles make that true but there is kind of a message crucible element to twitter as well so you are providing your supporters with the messages that you want and you are all refining them together like you see the best version of the phrasing the one that seems to own the libs the most or really stick it to the ucp the most or whatever you want and and there's this iteration on Twitter of messaging that I find fascinating. Like when an issue happens in the first six hours as the partisans all kind of feel their way to their key message, there's value in that. Um, I mean, you've got to be mindful that they may be feeling their way to a message for an audience that you're not after, but it's an audience where they're engaged. You might galvanize them. You might get them out to do actual real work like door knocking, and you can kind of test your messages in certain areas. But is Indi- is is that not just for the leader? Like, why? What's in it for individual candidates if if their messaging is what the leader tells them? They're yeah, Corey. Is? What's in it for individual candidates, Corey? Well, because Mr. Smarty Pants. <laughs> my advice to the UCP might have been not to have local messaging, but let's I think assume that was that we... actually. I remember your strategy. Mm-hmm. I remember uh-huh. it well. He had that really good PowerPoint. Do you remember, Carter? <laughs> ex- oh yeah, no, that was an people are still talking about it. It was really good. Yeah, the, people aren't talking about it. Yeah, great. 
m- many, if things. not most campaigns, however, do need to tailor their campaigns somewhat to their local geography, particularly if you're outside of a major center and you can't just have leader Calgary messaging, right? Like if you need Banff messaging, if you need High River messaging, High River is a bad example, kind of in the market, but Lethbridge med- messaging, Grand Prairie messaging, Medicine Hat messaging, you're going to want to make it about the locale that you're in and speak to the issues that people in your area are speaking to. And so there is a place for local candidates to find their way to those messages on local issues. Are they finding Talk it on Twitter or can they not find it like out on the doors? They can I don't, do both. I don't know what your Twitter's like, Corey, but mine is like terrible, terrible place right now. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, just an update update on the TikTok. Oh. Um, thirst, thirst traps are back. Um, I did nothing. I changed nothing. I changed nothing. No, no we, your gaze lingered. Still, we don't need to hear. We about still it. need to um do that thing where we just stream your feed and everyone no, can see I'd what's in your feed. Now. No, I was doing really well during the Taylor Swift phase. I was doing great. Also, does this mean you were looking at TikTok while I was talking? Is yes. should, is that what I should read into this? I thought he was yeah, going to say from I'd the like DMs, took, and he was going to say something you, from there. You took TikTok. two completely different positions on that answer, by the way. Well, you probably. opened with one position, and then you moved to another position, and you didn't even feel like like that. That that's was, the nature of the lightning round. Starter, they need to be Anything on goes. Twitter and on the doors. Okay, next question. Um, Stephen Harper is texting. Did you guys get a a text from Stephen Harper today? No, I don't live in a swing no. riding. No, okay. I was nowhere well, near a swing riding. He's texting Albertans. He's telling them to vote for the UCP. Um, there's, there, he doesn't mention Daniel Smith in the twelve sentence text, but he he says like vote for the UCP. Is this is this a, a good effective move? Text from Stephen Harper. Maybe. I, you know, I, I, mean, I think feels weird now. Feels too early, but. <laughs> It does feel a little weird now, but I yeah. think that might actually tell us a bit about the psychology inside the UCP uh, war room right now. Yeah. I, you know, I think here's the thing. Yeah, it is too early. Like, ultimately, why is this not the week before the election that you have a message like this? But it's interesting. I, I can't recall anybody blasting out a tactic like this. I'm sure it's been done. I'll bet you someone in Ontario will correct me instantly. I don't remember it in Alberta. I, I can think of people blasting to party membership lists, but to say, we're going to take the entire cell phones of Alberta. And if they're in a swing riding, I think I heard it was 1 million different cell phones got this particular text message. And we're going to deliver a, a relatively long form, even for text, mm-hmm. you know, um, message. Yeah, I mean, we, that could have we, we to always... do with spend limits too, hey, Corey? Like, oh, that's a great point. Like, what yeah. does that cost, you think? What do you, what well, do you it's mean? it's going to be... So that's going to have a cost on it, right? Like, so you have to pay for those types of texts and you'll want to narrow your text, your text targeting as you get closer, because you don't want to text a million people, um, you know, that aren't interested in you, uh, in, in, during the writ, you just, you'll burn up quite a bit of your, um, of your spending cap because we are capped on this election, but we're not capped yes. at the in the pre-election. Parties mm-hmm. can spend anything that they want prior to the writ drop on uh, May the second or whatever it's going to be. First. So they can spend. Okay, whatever. Um, they can spend everything. So if you're going to drop a big, you know, a, a great big text um, with a million users, that's probably going to cost you. 
Yeah, that's $3.2 million limit. So that, that starts to become a real chunk of it, right? Yeah. It's it's another it's another ad run, right? Like it it's it's a targeted ad set. If you uh, if you still have that fifty sixty grand, yeah, yeah, that's it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think on campaigns we often look for, or maybe not me and Stephen, but I think general as campaign practitioners, we look for that hail mary, that one thing, you know, that killer ad, and so rarely do you actually ever get that because you don't get the reach. This is an interesting one for me because it is talking to so many Albertans. So, you know, maybe it'll have some effect, a measurable effect. But so often those things, even when we kind of come up with a creative way to get it in front of a lot of people, people say, who fucking cares? And they move on. Like, yeah, how many spam text messages do you get in a day these days? And timeliness oh, wow. really does matter. Yeah. Do you? Are any of them thirst traps? No. No, but okay, I, I texts are a bad place. Twitter's a bad place. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're gonna leave it there, guys. Uh, hey, congratulations on a Velgy length episode. Yeah, that was. I excellent. know. You did a Velgy episode. What am I episode? doing? I mean, what am I doing? Kathleen guys? is gonna be so proud of you. I can't. Oh. Over an hour. It's gonna be good. Spash. Yeah. Uh, that's a wrap on episode ten fifty one of the Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. <laughs>